But we are in Acts chapter 17, and we are going to be going through really what it means to be a missionary. Now, for, for me, as, as I was mentioning, our very first Thai pastor, and he was also my language teacher, Samak, he gave us a testimony, and I'll remember to this day just how important it was. He said he was 16 years old, and uh, a missionary had given him some information about what it means to become a Christian. And he goes, uh, I didn't really understand it all, but one night I was reading through that track, and I finally understood what it meant to follow Jesus. Now, in Thai society, they have these things called spirit houses. Now, if you've never seen a spirit house, every Thai home has a spirit house. They put it up, and they actually, when they set it up at every house, they've got to set it up just right. They bring in people, the, the local monks, and it has to be set up on a special day. It's got to be facing the right direction. Everything's got to be just right. And what they do is they actually call a spirit to come live in that house. Now, let me just clarify something. Sometimes in America, we talk about good spirits and bad spirits, and uh, that's not biblical. There is only the spirit of God and his angels, and there are evil spirits. So when they call a spirit in the house, they're not asking for an angel of God to come live there. They're asking for an evil spirit to live there. They don't understand that. They just think, well, we need a spirit to come and, and protect us, control us. And they're actually asking for an evil spirit to come in. So Ajahn Smock says, the day that I became a Christian, he says, I realized that I had been controlled by the spirits and the evil spirits so much of my life. He says, that night after dark, I ran through the fields and everywhere I found a spirit house, I kicked it over and I destroyed it. Now I said, you get in trouble for that? He goes, oh yeah, big time, get in big trouble for that. He goes, but I understood what it meant that greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. This passage in Acts chapter 17, the very first verse here that uh, speaks to in verse 16, it says this, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was troubled within him when he saw that the city was full of idols. Now you saw the pictures up there, you saw the, the pink elephant and the, the white uh, Chinese god and the Hindu god. And, and really, even though we think of Thailand as being a Buddhist country, it is a plethora of religions and of gods and of idols all over the place. There's this place not far from where we served at. We nicknamed it the Disneyland of the Gods because it's the party place for people to come and to be able to see whatever kind of gods that they want to see. You can go there. There's actually one where they have about a six-foot mouse, and they've got steps up to the mouse where you can pay a little bit of money, whisper a prayer into the ear, and then you go on, and that prayer they think will be answered along the way. So it's all kinds of gods, all kinds of idols. And Paul says here that he was in a similar place. He goes, when I was in Athens, my heart was troubled. Now, depending on what translation that you use, that could be distressed, provoked, stirred. The one I like, and I'm not sure which translation it comes out of, is greatly upset. Anybody that we take overseas and we enter to one of these temples, one of the common things we hear from people is like, I'm just so burdened. What's going on here? And see, sometimes in America, we, because we don't see that all the time, we just kind of go on with life. But when you live in a place where everywhere you go, there is an idol, a spirit house, there is something, 
It is a huge burden. There is something that is oppressive about the place. There's a man by the name of Gassim. Gassim was actually, he, he's actually the mechanic and the builder at our clinic that we have in Bangla where we live. Uh, we, we, you know, not to go into a whole lot of things, but uh, as International Mission Board, one of the things is, is they have done hospitals and clinics pretty well throughout the world. And so we lived at one of these, and Gassim was one of the workers there. Um, it was fascinating to just hear all their stories about how they became Christians, but one of the things that is ritualistic for every child as they grow up is when you reach the age of 15 or thereabouts, your parents or somebody in your family will purchase an amulet for you. And they purchase an amulet for you to wear around your neck, and then they go to a what we would translate a spirit caller. Now, you probably can figure out where I'm going with this. So at the age of 15, you get an amulet. You go to a place where they're going to ask for an evil spirit. They don't call it an evil spirit. We do. An evil spirit to come live within the amulet they're going to wear around their neck all the time. So every child has that from the day they turn that age. And, and it's just part of their custom. And they believe it protects them from everything until something happens. And then they say, well, that's just fate. I mean, it's just an interesting logic system they have. But the story about Gassim is that in Gassim's family, Gassim's brother had started to read the Bible, uh, became a Christian. And so in their family, they were starting to read the Bible at home. And Gassim wasn't yet Christian, but he was uh, interested. And he was reading the Bible. So one day, his friend's mom, who was wealthier, because these amulets will cost $1,000, $2,000 that they buy, and they brought these amulets, and they said to Gassim, we'd like you to come with our son and get your amulet and get your spirit called in. So they went to the place where they were going to have this dumb done, and first his friend walks in, and he tells him to sit down there, and Gassim goes to walk in. And the spirit caller said, you, you must leave. You cannot come in here. Gassim was like, well, why? He goes, because you have something that is bigger than any of our spirits over you. You need to leave. Gassim said, I understood that what I had been studying is what he referred to. And the God of the Bible was the real God. And he went home and he gave his life to Christ. Now, Gassim is a mechanic. He's a builder. But Gassim is the guy, one of the men, who taught me how to share Jesus wherever we went in Thailand. You see, that's what makes the difference. See, the, there's an invasion of the spirits in Thailand and in many countries. But what we know to be a burden, we also know as Ajahn Samak said, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. In verse 17, this just kind of a, is a running uh, commentary on really what it means to be a missionary. In, in uh, verse 17 it says, So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with those who worship God and in the marketplace every day with those who happen to be there. So missions, obviously, is going and reasoning in the religious places and in the marketplaces with those who happen to be there. You know, I say, oh, that makes sense. That's what missionaries are supposed to do. But in reality, isn't that what we as Christians are supposed to do as well? But very rarely do we have much conversation about Jesus outside of the building that we come to for worship. So really, you know, being a missionary is really what we're all about and, and all the times. 
But to do that, you've got to learn how to speak the language. So we had to learn Thai. Now, um, Thai is a hard language. The word, the word cow in Thai, actually, you can say cow, 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 cow. That's five different words. Now, the way I say it, I just say cow and let the Thais figure it out. Because uh, I, my wife is so good at the languages. People will come up to me all the time and they say, Rob, why does your wife speak such good Thai? I'm like, what about mine? And I'm like, no, no, no. We're worried about her. She is such good Thai. She is an excellent Thai speaker. Um, one of the first times that I prayed, you know, it's good that they teach as missionaries how to pray. So you're, you're taught how to pray a certain prayer. So you, you, know, you got this phrase you're trying to get down. And, and remember, it's a tonal language. So you learn how to say, which means, oh, great and mighty God. Now, that actually sounded pretty good coming out, didn't it? But if you mess up one of the tones and you say this, now you notice the difference there, right? In the tone, good, I'm glad you did. Yeah. Well, the first one means, oh, great and mighty God. And the second one means, oh, great and large woman. I'm telling you, there's a theological difference between the two when you pray, so it is important. So in the middle of your prayer, all your Thai friends start laughing at you. And I was like, okay, what did I say? I'm glad God knows what I'm trying to say here because it's just, you, you have to know the language. And, and it is hard. You know, you need to pray for missionaries when they're on the field learning language because it really is a challenge. I remember one of the first times that I started to share Christ with somebody, and I was memorizing the Romans Road, and I, 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 caught, I, I could remember just parts of it. means everybody has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I did the part about wanting to tell them about how to receive Christ, and I couldn't say it. And I, I thought, here's a man who is seeking Jesus. I'm trying to be the messenger, and I cannot tell him. Tell you what, it really changed my study life after that. You know, I've got to be able to tell people who want to know about the good news of Jesus Christ. We went to religious places, we went to marketplaces, we would bring mission teams overseas with us. Um, this one time, we uh, were up in the northern part of Thailand, and uh, we would travel with our doctor. We have a, 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 it's an American doctor, and then he had this clinic. And we were with our Thai friends, and we would travel around and do medical clinics. And it was really cool. They did the, the, just the greatest medical clinics. Everywhere they would go, they would do a uh, basic, you know, here's, here's how you're doing. Here's your medicine for your physical ailment. By the way, let me speak to your spiritual ailment and give you some medicine for that. So they got a chance to witness to everybody, no matter where they were. Well, we were at this clinic, and normally I was the guy who, you know, you, you jump in and you fill in, you translate here a little bit, you go out and meet people here, because I'm certainly not a doctor. I don't even play one on TV. So it was one of those things where I just, I, I'm just roaming around. And Dr. Doug says, hey, why don't you take some of our college students over to the local temple and just show them around? Oh, that's cool. So we go over to the local temple, and we go in, and first thing I notice is that the monk is actually a younger guy than normal. And he has us sit down. They bring some water. And uh, I look over, and there is a casket. But it's a glass casket, and it's got an old monk in it. Uh, he's pretty fresh. And uh, I don't know any other way of saying that. And so I'm, I'm, I'm 
trying to translate for these college students and the monk, and I'm looking, that's weird. Okay, they don't, you normally keep them right there. I wonder what's going on. So anyway, we have our conversation, and the guy is actually very open to us sharing about sin and the gospel and the difference between our religions. And, and this goes on, and, and we leave, and that night, we, we get over, and usually after a clinic, we're all gathered around in somebody's home, and we're singing and praising the things that God did. And the pastor of the local church, he starts to share because he says, I don't know where he goes, oh, by the way, three weeks ago, they told us we could not have the medical clinic in our village. He says, the head monk said that no Christians may come into our village. And Dr. Doug was like, you, did, you didn't call and tell us. You didn't, you mean, we had all these people planning coming up and you weren't going to let us in and you didn't know what was going to happen. He goes, oh, no, no, we started to pray. And he was like, uh, why would you worry? We're, we're praying about this. And so Doug goes, well, what happened? And he goes, well, down at the local temple, you'll see the old monk laying there. He goes, he just died one night. Yeah. Yeah. Stand up against the greatness of God, and who knows what God may do. This young monk that I was talking to was so open because he realized that the monk who stood up against the God of glory was now gone. You see, those are the kinds of things that God does all over the world, and God does them here as well. The same God that lives there is the same God that lives here and can do the great and mighty things that he does so well. So missions is going and reasoning in the religious places, in the marketplaces, with those who happen to be there. I'm going to ask my wife to come up here in just a minute and share a little bit as well. Uh, for this next verse, in verse 18, Others replied, he seems to be a preacher of foreign deities because he was telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Missions is proclaiming a foreign God, Jesus and the resurrection. Over and over again, one of the things that would happen to us is people say, oh, you're bringing the Western religion to us. And they say, you know, Jesus was a Westerner. Like, no, he wasn't. He's a Middle Easterner. You, know, they, they, you have to kind of get across there. But to them, it was a foreign God. And it was a foreign God not because they thought he was evil. In fact, they thought Jesus was a great man. But they thought he was only a good man. And so to have experiences where someone understands what does it mean to truly meet Jesus. I have asked Lori to come share a little bit about a helper that came to work with us in our home. Her name was Namthan. So Namthan came for an interview about three days after we arrived in Thailand in 1993. So she was the ripe old age of 17. She had come from a village up further north of Bangkok. She'd never been to the city before. And she came to interview for a job in a foreign family for a foreign family. She didn't speak a word of English. We didn't speak a word of Thai. And I didn't really know how even the interview was gonna go or how it was going to be to have someone come and do housework for me. I mean, I had three little ones and I was gonna do language school and, and it was just expected that you would have a helper in your home to, um, to help do the chores around the, around the place. So anyway, we, we get into this interview, and my translator says, this is Namthan, her name means sugar. 
And I'm like, sugar. And seriously, this girl was sugar. And it was like God said, this is the girl for you. You don't need to know anything about her. You don't, because this is the one that's going to come into your home. So I'm kind of like, okay, okay, God. I'm fine with that because I wouldn't be able to tell a good one from a bad one. <laughs> All I knew is this was sugar, and she was as sweet as could be. Just She had this little voice. So at 17 years old, she comes to live with us. And she does have a cousin in town. And a few months after, after her being in our home, her cousin comes to visit. And her cousin brings us tracks on Buddhist meditation. I'm like, what in the world? Tracks on Buddhist meditation? We haven't given Namthan any tracks on what it means to be a Christian yet. Great missionaries. <laughs> so I'm like, well, thank you, but then we, we give her tracts, and she begins to read, and we give her a Bible. She begins to read every time she has free time. I see her sitting on our daughter's little stool in the kitchen, and her head just kind of popped above the counter, and she was reading those tracts, and she was reading that Bible. And within a month or two after that, she, she knocks on my door one night, and Rob is gone, and she says, ma'am, she always called me ma'am. She goes, ma'am, I have decided to be a Christian. And I'm like, well, you can't have decided to be a Christian yet because I haven't led you through the spiritual <laughs> laws or the Romans road or anything. So I said, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. So I get my side-by-side -side Bible, and I go to Romans, Rob had already, and I said, so, you know that you're a sinner? Yes, yes, I believe. To allow, to allow, and then I was like, okay, and I, you know, and we went all through it, and she says, I have already decided to believe. I have already told my family, and I'm like, you've already told your family? Yeah. Well, this girl, if God had brought us to Thailand only for this girl, it would have been okay. Because this girl followed us after language school to our next location in Pattaya, the Sodom of Southeast Asia, even though her family said it is too dangerous. She followed. She came. There was a woman evangelist in our church who took her under her wing and discipled her. And before long, she was teaching children and she was leading worship. Um, after that, she started dating the, um, the cousin of this girl and got married to him. He just finished seminary, and she is now a pastor's wife. So much more in between. Oh. She has been serving God with all of her heart, soul, mind, and strength for all these years. And I just, I just praise her, praise God for her. The other day she called me and she said, ma'am, I really need your, need your opinion. She goes, I feel like God is calling me to be in the ministry full time with my husband. I've been working outside of the home all these years, but every time we go to church, 
the ladies are asking me questions and they want counseling and I need time to spend with them and I just don't have time. She said, is it appropriate for me to write a support letter? <laughs> I said, yes, it's appropriate for you to write a support letter so that you can be paid to do the ministry that God has placed upon your heart, that God has called you to. And so, um, all just to say that that sometimes we look at those that one person and we think oh, it was only one person but yes I reached that one person God put that person God put that person in my life but he used that to touch countless countless Thai women and children along the way for the last how many years has it been a couple 30 yeah <laughs> 30 years so it's awesome you know when we talk about the resurrection I know sometimes we we just kind of gloss over some of these things but in Thai society the resurrection is a, a unheard of thing in fact just like Paul had to deal with that uh, he was speaking about a foreign deity only because he was talking about the resurrection when he's just talking about a good man that was fine and we find that in Thai society all things that, you know, Christianity, all they say, which means all religions teach to be good the same. And so they'll just answer you that immediately. And they go, yeah, we study about all religions in school. Well, we, we really found out one day we were out at this house with some kids, and uh, they were, you know, doing a little study and talking about our Christianity, and they had all the answers until we talked about the resurrection. So we're, we're meeting with these, these people, and there's you know, four, three, four little girls in there. They're in sixth grade, I think. And so we're talking with them, and, and they said, yeah, we learned about Jesus at school. And we're like, really? And they said, yeah, he died on the cross. And we said, yes, he died on the cross. And then he was buried, and then he rose again from the grave. And they just looked at us like, Really? They've never told us that. Our faith is nothing without the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The power of our faith comes through that resurrection. And so, yes, Thai people, they hear, they know there's a Jesus. Now, this is kind of current, but they don't know that he rose again from the grave. They don't know the power that's in his name only. You know, we could just tell you stories, and they're, they're stories not because of us, but because we were there, and God was working, and we happened to see it. It's just amazing to see what God is doing around the world. And, you know, we, we just share them so that we as a church family in, in, can have a heart for the kingdom. You know, there's a Bible verse, the next one I'm going to read. is one that I've always struggled with, but... But the more I thought about it, I, I think it fits very well with our situation. This is in uh, 17, verse 24. It's uh, verse 26. From one man, he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. He did this so that they might seek God and perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. It says he appointed their boundaries and their times. Now, I've got to tell you, many times I've thought about, what if I was God? 
You know, if I was God, I'd say, take all the Thai people, put them right here in Wilsonville next to this church. You guys could just go over there and visit them and share with them, teach them English, and then that would work well. But God didn't do that. God appointed their times and place. In other words, everybody in the world is where they're supposed to be. Now, I started to have a little theological problem with that because what if there's some place where they can't hear? And I realized the problem isn't where they are. The problem is where we are. You see, God is calling us to go to where they are. Where they are is where they need to be. But sometimes as Christians, we get settled into our comfort zone where we're at, and we're like, wow, as long as they come and knock on my door, I'll tell them about Jesus. But if I have to go there, I have to get on a plane, I have to learn a language, I've got to do all these games, and you know that's just way too hard. But God says, that's what I'm all about. That's my business. Uh, for Lori and I, I, we just want to share a little bit of our call because we're the last people on the earth that I would have ever thought would have spent any time overseas or even to be a pastor for that matter. But God's got a sense of humor and he calls those that he chooses to call. For us, I grew up in a little town of Woodland, not far from here, Lori up in Longview. And uh, uh, I became a Christian when my grandmother prayed. And uh, through that, we ended up in the ministry. We were church planting in Portland. We were actually planting a church in the Portland area. My office was in a Mien Asian congregation of which I now pastor. So long, it's interesting how that all worked out. But I was doing a typical pastoral thing at Christmas, and that's what I was trying to get a missionary, come in and speak. So I heard about a missionary from Indonesia. I got his phone number. I called, and I said, hey, we need, a, we need someone to come preach. And I'm just setting up my schedule. I'm doing my routine. And, out of, and he goes, I'm sorry, I'm not available. I can't do that. So I made a mistake. I said, well, what's a missionary do anyway? Don't ask that question unless you want to know the answer. Because he started sharing about being a missionary in Indonesia. And you know, I don't know if you remember back when you became a Christian and it's just like God took the burden off. This was just the opposite. He would share about something God was doing in Indonesia and it was like the burden, the burden, the burden. I'm not a very emotional person. Uh, Lori cries at AT&T commercials. Uh, I don't cry at anything. But I sat in my office sorry, and cried like a baby. I can remember to this day thinking, we're doing a good work. We just bought a house. We're starting a church. We're doing everything we should be doing. But God says, I've got something more for you. I've got something else for you. And uh, I, I, got, I, I finally said, okay, I need to get back to work because this feeling has got to go away. I'm happy where I'm at, and I certainly can't go home and tell my wife, let's move overseas because I like her. And I don't want to be divorced from her. So uh, I, uh, I kind of got my cool, and I went home, and she's cooking. I can remember clearly it was lunch, and I, she's cooking, and I walk in, and I sort of behind her back, I walk in and say, Hey, hon, have you ever thought about being a foreign missionary? And I slip into the other room really quick, because if God is God, he's going to do the same thing to her, and I'm off the hook, right? So, you know, it's, it's not a problem. So I slip out, and she does not say a word. In fact... She did say something. She said, huh? Very religious, very spiritual. I leave the room, and this is what God does with her. 
So being a person of details, I wasn't cooking, I was doing the dishes. And I said, oh, not yeah. huh. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Okay. <laughs> because I remember that day that he came home. Um, it was quite shocking. We were 10 months into a church plant where we already had over 100 people. And I, I was like, and we had an infant and a preschooler and a six-year-old. And all I knew, all I knew at that time was I had this friend in college that was a missionary's kid. And she was so angry about being a missionary's kid. That's all I, she didn't want to be with other missionary kids. She, she just, there was, and her husband was pastoring a church in Vancouver. And so how that ever happened. So um, the first thing that happened was I went to a Bible study and I had been praying, God, if you want me to be a missionary, you are going to speak to me loudly. Because, and I mean like, of, like verbally, because we've been moving, you know, we've already at the ripe old age of 32 had two church plants and done all kinds of things. And I'm like, I can't, just can't even think about this. So speak to me, God, speak to me. But I wasn't letting him. I went to a Bible study. And the leader of the Bible study said, Lori, would you please look up Isaiah 58, verses 10 and 11, and read them to us? She said a few more words. So while she was, I was looking up the verse, and I read it, you know, how you do sometimes before you have to read it out loud. And tears just begin to stream down my face. Because this is what it says. If you give yourself to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. You see, all I knew about being a missionary was that you went and fed hungry people and it was a really hot place. And I knew that I never wanted to miss God's blessing. And this was an if-then verse. If you do this, this is how I will bless you. Your light will rise in the darkness. Your night will become like the noonday. I will guide you. I will satisfy your needs in the sun-scorched land, and I will strengthen your frame. The other, another version said, I will strengthen your bones. I have a long history of osteoporosis in my family, but I will strengthen your bones, and I will make you like a spring whose waters never fail. I am kind of a, my waters never fail. <laughs> but God has kept his promises. I came uh, home. She came home and I said, said, okay, start the process. I called this girl I went to college with. She said, oh, I loved being a missionary kid, and I would do it all over again. I'm like, well, I have no way out. No way out. 
So nine months later, we were in Thailand. Uh, it, it's funny because uh, as we were trying to figure out where in the world to go, I had some neighbors that are men, and I would often go over there to kind of help them uh, with some language things, and uh, still no, no heart for the world at all. And I, so I go over, one day he invites us over for breakfast, I get over there, and as I walk in, there's this older couple there, and they're talking in a language I don't understand, and they get to the table, and as they're sitting at the table with us, uh, his name is Dr. Calloway. Dr. Calloway turns and he looks at me and he says, now when you're a missionary in Thailand, here's what you need to know. And I'm like, wait a minute, we haven't told anybody yet, God. You're already telling people, that's not fair. And so, you know, when God calls, he calls. And I think it's evident. I, I do believe that in every church, in every place, God is continuing to call people out to be missionaries, to be full-time, to be part-time, to go uh, to be missionaries in their local neighborhoods, to the people groups around us. And more and more, we have more uh, people around us that is a need. We just challenged our church to prepare for Afghan refugees coming in and that we are going to do what we ever can do. In our church, we have refugees from uh, Iran, refugees from Syria, refugees from a number of places. And, uh, and we just want to help them to become the people that God wants them to be so they can center back in on their family. I want to just close with a couple more verses here. There's many things that we could share. And, and, and I did ask Chad at the very end, if you've got questions, you know, and it's pertinent to everybody, I'd like to answer those. Or you can ask us when we're uh, out and about afterwards. But in this passage, in verse 30 and 31, it says, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has set a day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. And we know that man is Jesus Christ. For Thai people, they would love to just add Christianity to the mix. Many of them who have some sort of Catholic background will just take a statue of Mary and often just replace it with the Buddhist statue. It's, it's still an idol worship. And so what we talk about often is they'll say, you know, I'll become a Christian if I can just add Jesus to the mix. And one of the hardest things to say is, you're so close. But no, you can't do that. For our God is a jealous God, and he will not share his glory with another. And, but for those who are ready, it is a transformation in their life. They leave their families, they leave their communities to follow Jesus. And it's beginning to be that way in the States as well. And then this last thing, missions is leaving the results to God. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some began to ridicule him. But others said, we'd like to hear from you again about this. However, some men joined him and believed, including Dionysius, the Arapagite, a woman named Demarius, and others with him. Just as here, wherever we go in the world, it's a slow work. Sometimes God is just doing the, the watering. Sometimes he's just doing the planting. It's a slow work. But it says here that some will respond. I want to close with just a couple quick stories met this lady, and I, I, I know the story to be true because she told it to me in her house, that she lived in Bangkla, Thailand. And she was bedridden. She had no family. She was bedridden. She couldn't get out of bed. And she knew that she was going to lay in that bed and she was going to die. So as she laid there, she said, if there is a God out there, would you show yourself to me? And she said that it wasn't long before 
and I know this sounds strange in our world or in America, but she said, this voice told me that I needed to sit up in my bed. And she said to that voice, I can't. I can't sit up in my bed. I don't have the strength to do that. The voice said, sit up in your bed. She obeyed that voice, sat up in her bed. Voice said, you need to stand up right there next to your bed. She goes, I can't do that. And she argued with the voice again until finally she stood up. Voice said, walk to the door. She said, okay, but I'm going to fall. I'm not going to get there. She walks to the door. And the voice said, walk to the church in town, two miles away. She walked to the church in town, gets there at, <laughs> I know it sounds weird, traditional 11 o'clock service at the church, just starting. Goes in, hears the gospel, and becomes a follower of Jesus Christ. You see, when people give up on their religions and they turn to the Jesus of the resurrection, there is hope. When they cry out to the God of all creation, there is hope. And the last story comes from Dr. Doug Derbyshire, a missionary we worked with. I always say in chat, I, I've told you this before, it's not fair because he, he's a great preacher. He's a great doctor. He studied and got his medical exams in Thai after being there just a couple of years, and he's a great basketball player. And it's just not fair to have all those in one person. But, but Dr. Doug is that kind of guy, and God is just using him. He says one day, and, and again, I, I heard the lady recount this story as I was in her house another time. Dr. Doug said, we were out trying to start this church. And we get to this lady's house to pick her up for our regular Bible study. And we got there, she said, hey, Dr. Doug, would you come pray for my mom? And Doug says, well, we're kind of late for Bible study. You know, what, can we do it another time? And she goes, no, that's my mom right there laying on the table in front of the house. Would you come pray for her? And Doug looks over and they're like, she's just laying on the table. She's dead. And so he, he, you know, he's a doctor. He gets out, goes over there, and he checks her pulse. And, and she's breathing hard and heavy, but she's in kind of a comatose state. And Doug says I, to himself, he didn't say this out loud. He goes, I, I don't think prayer is going to do any good here. This lady's going to die. And uh, so being a good missionary, though, the lady says, would you pray? He goes, okay, I'll pray. So he did a quick prayer, and he says, okay, let's go to Bible study. They head for Bible study, and uh, they go home, and the next week they come back around to pick up the daughter for, uh, uh, for Bible study, and she goes, just a minute, my mom's coming. Dex says, your mom? What mom? You mean the mom that was laying on the table? That mom's coming? Oh, yeah, yeah, she'll be right here. And she comes over and runs and jumps into the van. And Doug says, uh, uh, What's going on? Yeah, a week ago, uh, I didn't think you were going to make it, and I'm a pretty good doctor. And she says, you didn't know this. But when you prayed for me, she said, I, I wasn't in a comatose state. There was a demon who was holding my throat and holding me unconscious. And when you prayed the name Jesus, the demons have to flee. He left. A few hours later, uh, I was able to get up, and I asked my daughter, I said, who is that man, and what is this about Jesus, and who is this Jesus? And she came to Bible City that night and became a Christian. Guys, at the end of the day, it's really very simple. It is about the name of Jesus. It is his power. It is his strength. This church right here, where you're at today, through your prayers, through your gifts, through your sending, through what God is doing through you guys, through your pastor. I'll tell you what, I have just so thoroughly enjoyed getting to know Chad and Bryn and their heart for the world. I believe that God's got some great things planned here. But I know 
that it includes the whole world and not just this city. I'd like to pray for us and to pray for you. I know your worship team is going to come up this way, so if you just bow your head. I'd like you to just consider for a moment the call in your life. You may be a young person here and you've never even thought about it, and I know sometimes the hardest thing for kids in their call and youth in their call is for parents to let go. But I pray that you'll be willing to openly and honestly seek God's will in your life. Father, I pray that there's a man, woman, or child here that you have poked at their heart through your spirit that they will be honest with you. They will pursue that and listen to your voice. I pray that they will take the time to dig in and find out what it is that you're calling them to do. It may just be local, but it may be to the ends of the earth. That's your call. Father, I also pray for this church, that as they reach out to people here, that you will develop a church that may not have the word international in it, but that will have the heart of the world in it. Lord, I pray that all that they do here will make a difference for the kingdom to the ends of the earth. May you bless Chad, may you bless Bryn, the other leaders here, and these members, that you will use them and call them to change a hurting world. We ask this in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Thanks. Thanks, Robin.